It is Psalm 119, verses 97 through 104. Psalm 119, beginning with verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do pray that your word would be living and active today, living and active this afternoon, even as, is, as it is preached to us. Pray that your spirit would be upon us, that we might have ears to receive what you have for us. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, a couple weeks ago, I asked my students in logic class the following question. Try to imagine a person that is purely rational. What would that person be like? Now, the first couple kids to answer were some of the younger boys who are really eager, uh, but not always the most thoughtful answers, and one of them said, he'd be really smart, or something like, uh, oh, he wouldn't make any logical fallacies, trying to maybe get on my good side since we've been talking about logical fallacies. But then one of my older students got a little bit closer to what I was getting at in my question and said, no one would like him. And I think we've all experienced this kind of person, either in real life or in fiction. We've experienced the kind of person who is so rational about everything that they miss an entirely different dimension of their humanity, the more emotional side of their person. And one of the things that in that conversation I was trying to help my students to understand and see was that while we should be people who try to be rational, it is a good thing to be rational. It is a good thing to make decisions on a rational basis. We also have to remember that as humans, we can't ignore different aspects of who we are as people. We can't ignore that emotional side of us. And I realize that there are some who are more inclined towards that than others. But our goal should be to be these kind of well-rounded people. Yes, rational, but not at the expense of other parts of our being. And this morning, as we, or not this morning... This afternoon, as we consider this section of Psalm 119, I think it will soon become evident that the truly righteous person engages God's word with the whole of their being. Yes, with the rational side of their being, but also with their emotions and with their will as well. So as we consider Psalm 119, verses 97 through 104, I hope it becomes evident that truly righteous people engage God with their minds and with their hearts, and with their wills. And there's going to be a specific way that I see these three aspects of our being uh, interrelating with one another today. And as I studied and meditated on this psalm, I I began to see this moving circle, this cyclical relationship between understanding, obedience, and heart. 
And what we see here is that the psalm opens with this statement of his love of God's word. But then the rest of the psalm is dominated by this theme of understanding. And so we see that loving God's word, loving God's ways, leads us to deeper meditation and understanding God's ways. But to truly understand God's ways never ends there. The person who truly understands God's ways and God's word will then obey God's word. But it doesn't end there as well, because the one who is now an obedient servant, who obeys what he hears in God's word and understands in God's word, then develops a greater love for God's word and God's ways as well. Because as he experiences the goodness of God's word and his ways, he is stirred to love it more. And on the circle goes, loving God's word, leading to understanding it, understanding it, leading to obeying it, and obeying it, leading to loving it more. And this is what I, a pattern I see here being demonstrated in the psalm of the truly righteous person. So to begin with, so where do we see this idea that the man who loves God word, God's word seeks to understand God's word? So like I said a second ago, this wall, it begins with God, man's love of God's law. The dominant theme in the passage is understanding. In verse 99, we, we read more understanding than his teachers. And we, in verse 100, he talks about more understanding than his elders. In verse 104, he, the psalmist talks about his understanding leading him away from sin. And then in verse 98, the word understanding isn't used, but he talks about uh, being wiser than his enemies. And in verse 102, though again not using the phrase understand or the word understanding, he talks about God having taught him. So we see this strong theme of the mind, of understanding, of comprehending things throughout the psalm. But what does it begin with? What does this psalm begin with? It begins with a man who loves God's law. Oh, how I love your law. And I see that as the beginning of his understanding. He understands because he first loves. And the first verse actually makes this connection between love and understanding very clear because it then goes on to say, it is my meditation all the day. That the one who loves God's word then meditates on God's word. And the one who meditates on God's law then understands it. And I think we all understand this natural relationship of understanding, of knowing more and comprehending the things that we love. I think of someone who loves sports, who loves baseball. And because of their love for baseball, there is so much that they can tell you about it. They can tell you stats that you, would, you can hardly comprehend how much they know about the sport and the players. Some of the boys at my school like video games, to my uh, disliking and whatever. Like During their free times, they're always talking about their video games, and they definitely can tell me way more about their video games than I really care to hear. But they love their video games, and they can tell me a lot about it. I also think, you know, and the, the, the examples could go on. The people that we know that love something, whether it's cooking and baking, or whether it's books and reading, or whether it's history or mechanics or cars or computers, people who take delight in and love things know a lot about it by its very nature. There's a very natural relationship there that we all understand. So the one who loves God's word spends time with it, meditates on it, 
knows it and understands it. And to understand uh, the theme that dominates this passage, which is understanding, we must first understand that it begins with loving God's law, loving God's word. And Calvin offers this helpful but stinging comment in the op- as he uh, offers in his commentary on this passage, saying, Not contented with a simple affirmation, the prophet, speaking of the psalmist, exclaims, by way of interrogation, that he was inflamed with incredible love to the law of God. And in proof of this, he adds that he was continually engaged in meditating upon it. If any person boasts that he loves the divine law and yet neglects the study of it and applies his mind to other things, he betrays the grossest hypocrisy. For the, law, for the love of the law, and especially such an ardent love of it as the prophet here expresses, always produces continual meditation upon it. And assuredly, unless God's law inflame and ravish our hearts with the love of it, many allurements will quickly steal upon us and lead us away to vanity. The prophet then here commands such a law, love of the law as possessing all our senses effectually excludes all the deceits and corruptions to which we are otherwise too much inclined. Think Calvin is right on when he says that the one who truly loves God's law will not neglect it. But I would also say that there is a temptation in applying this text to be heavy-handed. To weigh people down. If you truly God's lo- love God's word, you will be studying it. And while this is true, and for some of you this is a needed rebuke, I want to speak to some of you who maybe feel overly burdened by this. I think there are some, because there is also a common temptation in life, it's common for temptations in life to draw us from the things that we love. And if you are here this morning and you've drifted in your study of God's word, maybe you've been less than faithful in your reading of it, or maybe you are reading it daily, and yet your daily reading feels like little more than a checking of a box, I have an encouragement for you, because I know you people. I know we are a church filled with people who know God's word, who love God's word, and we're a people who could grow in our understanding of it as well. But if you find yourself in a place where you're just not in God's word, please spend some time this week going back and considering some passages from God's word that have been especially meaningful for you over the years. Think of those passages that contain promises that you have clung to in the darkest moments of life, that you had no other hope but you, in your despair, clung to the promises of God. Or think of those parts of Scripture which the words of wisdom breathed life into what you were going through, and you just, you walked in God's path, and you felt the sweetness and the reward of of living a life that was pleasing to God. Or even go to those passages which struck you and rebuked you and kept you from folly. Take some time to remember the ways that God word has been sweet to you. God's word has ministered to you 
and find encouragement in the, re- in the remembering of that. And I pray that in doing that, that, that your hearts would be re-stirred with that affection, with that love for God's law and God's word if it's not there, and that you would then be able to proclaim with the psalmist, if you can't right now, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. So we see here, the love of God's law leads to understanding God's law. But the man who understands God's law and truly understands it, we see in this psalm, is also a man who obeys God's law. Understanding God's law is naturally, in this psalm, connected to obeying. We've already seen the pervasiveness of the theme of understanding, but notice how interlaced it is with the idea of obeying. In verse 100, it says, he says, I keep your precepts. In verse 101, he says, that I may keep your word. In the 102, he says, do not departed from your judgments. In 104, he says that he hates every false way. And so we see this drive from understanding it to obeying it. And that is just a natural connection for this psalmist. But I think that there's something also that's in our face when we read this psalm, at least at first reading. And for me, it wasn't just the first reading. It was like the first five, maybe even ten readings. Which is while I, I commended, I saw this man's love for God's word and his obedience of it. I had this impression of a very arrogant person. In verse 98, he claims, I'm wiser than my enemies. Now, that seems like an all right thing to claim, to be wiser than one's enemies. Like, sure, enemies by nature are bad guys, right? So I hope that we're wiser than our enemies. But then in 99, he moves on and claims that he's wiser than his teachers. Now, depending on who your teachers are, that might not be a bad thing either. If you go somewhere like the Evergreen State College, probably a good thing if you're wiser than your teachers. And then in verse 100... He claims to be wiser than the ancients, wiser than those who are older than him, wiser than his elders. That definitely is beginning to sound arrogant there, to be claimed to be wiser than his elders. And on top of that, if you look at verse 99 through 102, all of those verses begin with I, I, I. I. He's talking about himself so much. So not only is he t- talking about himself a lot, but he's seems to be boasting about how he's just so much smarter, has such greater understanding than everybody else. So what's going on here? Do we have a, is this supposed to be like an example of what not to be thrown right in here in the middle of this glorious psalm? We, he also has a turn of mood, a turn of even person. Or are these first impressions of the potentially arrogant man, false impressions. Well, I think that it, that absolutely has to be the case, that this is not an arrogant man. This is actually an incredibly humble man who is uttering these words. I do think that the context requires it. The whole of Psalm 119 is a portrait of a righteous man who loves God's law, loves his ways. We do not have a turn of arrogance here. So what within this text then would indicate that even though he's talking about himself, even though he's claiming to be wiser and have a better understanding than these other people, what about this psalm itself would indicate that he's actually incredibly humble? 
Well, I think first thing we have to recognize is this man acknowledges that he is under God's law. Every uh, verse in this passage makes some reference to God's word. Uh, in verse uh, 97, uh, well, yeah, every verse mentions God's word, God's law. And this is the essence of humility, to recognize oneself as being under God's word. And I think it is a necessary starting point for true obedience. Now, just a couple weeks ago, I read uh, The Magician's Nephew at school with my students, and it's interesting, this idea. So if, if the righteous man is the one that acknowledges he is under God's law, if the humble man is the one who re- recognizes that, is that he's under God's law, it's absolutely also true that the proud person absolutely can't even recognize this. And C.S. Lewis did such a wonderful job capturing this in The Magician's Nephew. Now, if you're not familiar with it, Uncle Andrew is this kind of crazy uh, uncle who's up in the attic, and um, well, I'm not going to give you all the backstory. I apologize if you can't quite pick up. But Uncle Andrew has just informed his nephew, Diggory, that after vowing to his dying aunt that he would burn a box that she had just given him, he then proceeded, immediately after she's died, to open it. And, and as he's telling this to Diggory, Diggory's like, Scoffs. He's like, what? Like, can't believe that he would do that. It remarks about how terrible of a thing he is. Well, that was just jolly rotten of you, is what he said. And to, to that, Uncle Andrew replied, rotten? Oh, I see. You mean that little boys ought to keep their promises. Very true. Most right and proper, I'm sure. And I'm very glad you've been taught to do it. But, of course, you must understand that rules of that sort, however excellent they may be for little boys and servants and women and even people in general, can't possibly be expected to apply to profound students and great thinkers and sages, implying such as me. No, Diggory, men like me who possess hidden wisdom are freed from common rules. Here we have a picture of a man who is at the pinnacle of arrogance unable to recognize that he is under someone else's rule. Jadis later echoes this same sentiment in much fewer words. You must learn, child, that what would be wrong for you or for any of the common people is not wrong in a great queen such as I. That is not the psalmist that we are reading about today. The psalmist we're reading about today is quite the opposite. He is a man who recognizes that he is a man under God's law, and that is a, extreme, is a clear example of his humility. But his humility doesn't end there, because he also acknowledges that God is the source of all his understanding. So though he has claimed that he has more understanding than his enemies and his teachers and his elders, he is not claiming any of that credit for himself. But rather, in verse 98 and 102, he clearly shows that the source of all understanding is from God and God alone. In verse 98, he says, you, through your commandments, make me wiser. In 102, he said, you yourself have taught me. And this is another great demonstration that this is actually a very humble man, not a proud man. And all the I talk Yes, it's uncomfortable at first, 
But what he's ultimately doing in talking about himself is not ending with himself, but talking about himself to then point back to the God who has done such a wondrous work in his life. And to him and to God alone belongs the glory for it. And actually, I think even furthermore, the fact that he's able and willing to talk about himself in this way, in and of itself, shows a certain humility. Because it is actually, for a humble person, very uncomfortable to talk about themselves. It can be hard to talk about oneself in that kind of way. But if it's true, it's appropriate. And we see that the Apostle Paul demonstrates the same kind of humility on several occasions. I think of uh, Philippians 3, verses 4 through 6, where the Apostle Paul lists all of these things uh, that he had done that were great. But then he says, I count it all as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. But he wasn't afraid to talk about the things that he had accomplished. Or in 1 Corinthians 1, 11, where he says, follow me. That's, that's a bold claim. And he said, Actually, imitate me. To, say, to be able to say that about oneself, to be able to talk about oneself in such a way, actually takes a level of humility. And so what we see here is not in this psalm a proud man who is boasting of his goodness to glorify himself, but in fact a very humble man. Maybe the epitome of humbleness in this. But our cycle doesn't end here with uh, obedience with uh, understanding leading to obedience, we see the cycle finishing itself out where the man who obeys God's word then grows in his love for God's word as well. In verse 104, we read, Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. So here in we actually get an inverted expression of what we began with. We begin with, I love your law. And we end with, I hate uh, every false way. And we see that this expression of hating every false way is the flip side of loving God's law. Because if you truly love something, you will absolutely hate that which, that which opposes it. There really aren't that many things that, for me personally, stir thoughts of hatred in me. But the thought of someone harming my family, the thought of someone doing something torturous to someone I love, just the beginning of a meditation on that thought sparks a flame of anger and hatred in me. And that's because of the deep love of my family, the idea of something opposing it, of hurting it, of harming it, stirs that hatred. And what we have here is the psalmist who so loves God's law the flip side of it is to hate anything that would be against it. And what we're seeing here is what comes right before that expression of hating all false ways. Through your precepts, I get understanding. And we've already seen that that is an understanding that leads to obedience. And an obedience that results in a greater love for God's ways and hatred of anything that would oppose it. So the relationship between loving and understanding and obeying began with the seeing loving leading to understanding, understanding leading to obeying, but we end here with understanding leading to obeying, and obeying leading to a greater loving. 
because the more we experience the goodness of God's ways in obeying them, the more that we are stirred to love them. And I think there is a great encouragement in this. As an early Christian, or as a person who is newly back to the faith at age 21, I had a mentor who told me that the Christian walk gets harder and harder with time. And I remember being incredibly discouraged by that statement because things were pretty rough at that point in time. There was a lot of sin that I was working through, a lot of things I was repenting of. Um, I also just did not have God's word in my heart and in my mind in the way that I should have. And that state, I still just remember the utter defeat that I felt. Like if it only gets harder than this, I didn't know what hope I had. Now, I don't think he was entirely wrong when he said that. I think that there, as we grow in the Christian faith, there's increased responsibility and there's increased trials. God oftentimes put those increased responsibilities and trials as we grow in our maturity, and those are harder than the ones that we face early on. But I think my friend also missed something, missed something seriously. Because as time goes on in our Christian life, We experience more of God's goodness, we experience more of his faithfulness, and we experience more of the wonder of his ways. And the more that we experience God's faithfulness to us, I feel like the easier things get. There is at least a sense in which things are easier, because it becomes harder and harder to imagine a living a life in any other way. And I hope we can all relate to some aspects of the cycle this morning, of of God's love growing in our hearts because we see the goodness of his ways, and we understand the goodness of his ways with our greater understanding. And the more we see God working in our lives like this, the harder and harder it becomes to imagine doing anything else but living a life of worship and praise to the God who saved us. And one last thing I want to say about this before we close that if this was discouraging to you, if you can't relate to this psalmist, if you feel like you're in a place where that love for God's law isn't really there, if you feel like your obedience is not what it should be, and you don't know where to begin, because I described this cycle, and one of the things about it is you have a chicken-egg conundrum, potentially. Where do we begin? Where do we jump in? Well, first of all, I'd encourage you to please attend to God's word, whether you feel it or not. There are seasons to the Christian life, and there are seasons where we are absolutely on cloud nine, feeling like God is just leading us through the day, and his word just elevates us up. And there are other seasons which are difficult, and we don't have those feelings. But I would also encourage you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit would give you word work in your heart in that way. I've been meditating recently on Jesus in the ask, when Jesus said to ask, seek, and knock. And he tells us to ask for the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. But the Bible also tells us we need to ask for those things which God gives us to. And we need to continue to pray that the Holy Spirit would be working in our heart in that way. Because God is faithful. His spirit will work in you. And whether you feel it or not, if the spirit is in you, God will work in your heart in the way that he worked in this psalmist. 
And my prayer for us all today is that we, like the psalmist, would be able to proudly and joyfully proclaim, oh, how I love your law. Let us pray. Gracious Father, it's very easy to take your word for granted. It's all too easy to forget how lost we would be without your word. I pray that in each and every one of our hearts today that we would have a new, renewed appreciation, a renewed gratitude, a renewed joy, a renewed love for your word. I pray that we would be a people who meditate on it day and night, and as we meditate on it day and night, we would see it bearing that fruit in our hearts and in our lives that Psalm 1 talks about. Father, may your spirit strengthen us in this, and may you equip us and strengthen us this week as we strive to honor you and follow you in all your ways. And as we do so, we get to witness your goodness and your faithfulness to us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.